the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line, as always, by the Athletics Mets beat writer Tim Britton. And Tim, it is a shame, in my opinion, that they base the standings on winning percentage and not controversies to games played ratio. Because if it were the latter, the Mets would be running away with this thing. What about podcast to games played ratio? I think I think we're one to one. <laughs> I feel like every time we do, we're doing a, a podcast per game so far this season with the Mets. And I'll say, we'll get to, we'll, we'll talk about Sunday's non-game a little bit, but we'll get to Saturday's game quite soon. And uh, there are several podcasts worth of material there, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, the Sunday incident was was a, a funny one. And, and I don't know if, if you were there, if you saw it. I was listening to the broadcast, and and, uh, and Howie Rosen and Wayne Randazzo, as always, did a really, really good job setting the scene. But what I heard was uh, that Marcus Stroman clearly did not want to be pitching in the weather conditions in which they opened that game. Yeah, so I, I was not there on Sunday, in part because I expected the game to be rained out. I don't live that far from City Field, and uh, you know, at the time that I would go over to the park uh, on a, a Sunday morning, which is later in the current circumstances than it would be if we had like clubhouse access, uh, it was pouring rain uh, in my neighborhood, uh, and it remained pouring uh, all day, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I was following along, you know, I, I put the game on at one o'clock, uh, and I was like, oh, they're, they are, they're going to try this. How about that? Uh, and yeah, Stroman, I think justifiably uh, in those right. conditions, like you don't, you don't start a game in those conditions. You can, you know, if, even if it's like the fourth inning and you have been cruising along in a nice sunny day and you get rain like that briefly uh, in the fourth inning uh, and, and the pitcher responds that way, I think it would be justified. Um, but especially when it's been raining already, uh, the field itself is not in good condition. Uh, so I, I thought that was that was fine. You know, we saw it, what was it, 2019 when when Pete Alonso kind of uh, pleaded with the umpires for a rain delay against the Cardinals, mm-hmm. uh, a rain delay that actually ended up hurting the Mets because I think they they lost that game when when St. Louis came back uh, the next day or something. Uh, but I, th- I thought that was. Uh, I was totally fine with with, with Stroman. I, I thought it was it was ridiculous, and he was just acknowledging the absurdity of it. Yeah, and and I would say you know because of course, and and I, I I'm I hate to even acknowledge this element, but there is always there is always pushback, and there are people saying, oh, you know, Stroman's got to toughen up and get out there and pitch. But it's like, have you not been watching the Mets for the last twenty years? Like this is the team that is consistently reckless about stuff like this, right? This is the the club of, of putting Ryan Church on the airplane and sending Matt Harvey out for another inning and not putting Noah Syndergaard in the M- MRI machine. Like you, Marcus Stroman, just one month ago, talked his way into a spring training game. This guy wants to pitch, right? It's not like <laughs> he he is out there thinking like, oh, so I want a day off and these, these stupid umpires are making me play. He wants to pitch. He just doesn't want to hurt himself. He's a guy who had a... a traumatic uh injury that that should have cost him a season he wound up coming back but he had a he slipped i think on a bat in spring training and tore up his knee like he's a guy who has experienced you know what not having firm footing might do to you as a as a professional athlete uh he's trying to preserve himself it it was silly to play a game I, i had actually been out at having baseball practice in the morning and it was horrible it was it was like i was worried about getting hurt and 
I, I it just I, I don't know. I, I I would say like you, I am totally with Strowman on that one. They shouldn't have started. Yeah, and I, I was I was slightly surprised when he had tweeted that day uh, on Sunday that it, you know he wouldn't be back for five days. I, actually, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that. I wasn't that surprised that he tweeted that because it would be weird if he was just if he tweeted like I'm taking David Peterson's spot on Tuesday. Watch right, out. and that's yeah. Um, but then, then when when Louis Rojas said on on early you know early Monday that that Strowman would take the full uh, four days in between, uh, I was a little surprised by that. I thought maybe it was because you didn't want to throw other pitchers off their rhythm if you if you mm-hmm. mixed it up. But then after the rain out. Uh, you know, he mentioned that, that Stroman would be coming back uh, on Tuesday tonight uh, in game two of the doubleheader, uh, which makes sense. You know, you, you've got a, the fifth spot in the rotation due on Wednesday. You can skip that now. It does lead to some issues down the down the line. I mean, you would have had these anyway, uh, just that you'll, you'll, you know, the Mets will be playing six games in the next five days, which means uh, necessarily you need a sixth starter. Uh, I don't know how exactly they'll handle that uh, in Colorado on Saturday. They might not have to because I don't know if you've seen the forecast, Ted. Uh, it's not supposed to be a good day in New York on Thursday. And I just looked at the forecast for Denver in April, uh, which the Mets know like from 17 it, inches 20- of snow tomorrow. Yeah. From 2013, was that the series in Denver that that they had snow in, in Denver and Minneapolis in an April road trip. But the forecast for Friday night in Denver is a 70% chance of snow and a high of 39 degrees. Yeah. I mean, and and I would say just to go back on something you mentioned, and this is something I, I don't think I always knew. I remember it coming up uh, in the like classic Mets post-trade ripping of R.A. Dickey that it is very much a thing among starting pitchers that they all want their turn. And and so if a guy like Stroman, who's number two in the rotation, comes out and says, well, I'll just pitch tomorrow, then the guy who's scheduled to pitch tomorrow is like, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute, what about me? Like, that's my, you know, and so uh, I think Stroman, for saying that, is it's a, it's a diplomatic thing. As Like, he probably realized he would be good to come back within five days, but you don't want to, you don't want to imply that you are higher in the pecking order, I think, than the you know three of the other four guys in the rotation. Right, and you know you've got a guy in Joey Lucchese who's still waiting to make his first start. You know the Mets haven't needed a fifth starter because they haven't played very many baseball games. Um, but uh, you, you know you don't want to, yeah, you don't want to impose your will over over everyone else on staff right away in the heat of the moment like that. Uh, so yeah, I think I think. His, his reaction on Sunday to just about everything made total sense to me. Yeah. Um, Saturday, they played a game as well, and I was actually there. It was my first baseball game uh, since 2019. My first baseball game as a, a fan in a really long time. It was my daughter's first baseball game ever, which was exciting. She's eight months old, so she won't remember it, but she performed quite well. She didn't freak out. She was able to sleep through some very, very loud stadium noise and through a truly, truly lousy baseball game for the Mets. Jacob deGrom gave a typical, but nonetheless stellar performance, struck out, I want to say, 14 batters. He was completely unhittable. He made one mistake and uh, extremely efficient, just like just completely dominant in the way you expect, but it's still really special to see every time. And yet the Mets did not hit with runners in scoring position, which has been an issue. They did not really hit at all. Uh, Conforto struck out in, in a huge spot, and, and we're going to talk about Conforto soon. Uh, and and the bullpen, you know, took a, a close game and, and uh, poured 
gasoline on the the smoldering embers of the Marlins lead and and it wound up uh, not being that close of a game. They fought, they tried to, they made a, a, a comeback effort as always at, and it, it fell short and so did the Mets and uh it was a it was a tough one it, it was fun i had a fun time going to the game it was a it was a childhood friend's birthday party uh you know some of my first socialization my first like public outing since the pandemic that part was amazing but uh it was it was a depressing depressing baseball game yeah i heard your daughter i heard i heard her booing uh michael Conforto she, she did she's you know she doesn't have a lot of patience <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's like when you look at that game, theoretically, you're like, ooh, Jacob deGrom struck out 14 guys in eight innings, uh, and he handed the ball to Edwin Diaz. What happened in that game? Oh, yeah, they lost 3-0. It was, it was, <laughs> they didn't have much of a chance in the late innings. Um, I, I think that you've got a, a couple things going on. First, like the, the offense, which has not been great overall. It's obviously the, the runners in scoring position issues, which, uh, they're like six and for 45 or something. The, mm-hmm. the average, I want to say is like 143 or something like that. Uh, that would be six for 42, uh, you know, six for 41, I think, sorry, is, is the, the overall number uh, at the moment. Uh, you know, th- that's exacerbated the, the offensive issues at a whole, as a whole, but I'm not going to blame solely that on a day when you get, get only three hits uh, like right. that. That's not like you're creating tons of opportunities. There are really two chances in that game. Uh, in the first inning when they had first and third, and then uh, I forget which inning. I think it was the sixth inning. I think it was Rogers' last inning um, when Conforto struck out with the runner on third and, and fewer than two mm-hmm. outs. Uh, and that's you know that that has been an issue for him at various points in his career. I remember in like 2018, Conforto really struggled in the runner on third less than two out situation, uh, and then he was much better at it in 2019. I actually don't remember what he was at that last year. Um, and that's, but it, it, I mean, I should, I just want to jump in and say like, that's to be expected, right? Like these, these splits, when you break down a split far enough to, uh, where it becomes like a 40 at bat sample or 50 at bat sample over the course of a season, it's going to vary a ton. And so you can look back and say like, wow, he really struggled in this spot and this year, this year, and this year, but he was really good in this spot and this year, this year, and this year, and over enough time, you're going to look at, no, no, certain hitting situations are better and, and worse than others. And so guys will always wind up hitting better with the bases loaded across the course of their career than they than they do with the bases empty. But uh, for the most part, those those stats, and, and it's been shown time and time again, and, and it's uh, frequently used to dismiss, you know, talk about a player's clutchness, because those stats always even out over time. Yeah, I mean, if I remember correctly, it was 35 chances in both in 2018 and then 35 more in 2019 for Conforto in that spot. Right. Uh, so um, I think it, it speaks to uh, that he, he just strikes out a little bit more than you want him to overall. Mm-hmm. And and certainly at the start of this season, uh, he's missing pitches in the zone that he usually gets to. Right. Uh, and, and, he's, it, and he's visibly, he's visibly frustrated, you know, and, and I think that helps uh, fans sort of see the struggle and, and and emphasizes it a little bit. Whereas, as you point out in, in your This Week in Mets column, Jeff McNeil, a guy who also has a very, very low batting average on this year, has been hitting the ball hard and seems to recognize that he's hitting the ball hard. Right. Yeah, like like McNeil, I looked up the, the stat cast numbers because, uh, you know, it's just anecdotally, it seems like he's hitting the ball hard. And uh, it's nice that we now have have stats to back up the anecdotal stuff. Uh, and like his expected batting average is, I think, 340, which is better than the 077 that he has. Mm-hmm. His expected slugging is is five something. 
so it's it's not just that you that that he's hitting the ball well enough to be doing as good as Jeff McNeil normally does. It's that he's hitting the ball harder than he he has in the past. Like the uh, average exit velocity is higher. He hit the hardest ball he's ever hit uh, in Philadelphia for an out uh, to deep center field. Uh, so I, I think there's really little concern about him. You know, Conforto, it's maybe a little bit more concerned, but. It, you know, we talked to Brandon Nimmo after the game Saturday, and, and if you remember Nimmo at the start of 2019, uh, he made this, you know, he was yeah. so much more lost than Conforto <laughs> is right now. Nimmo struck out 17 times in his first 26 at-bats uh, in 2019. Conforto, I think it's 8 out of 21. So it's a different ratio there. Uh, and, and Brandon talked about how, you you know, it starts to snowball pretty quick at the start of the season on you. Uh, right, because you see really... that batting average on the scoreboard, right, and and you're one forty three. You know what has happened? Yeah, like, right. Like they they don't, and everyone is everyone is prone to the the sample size quirk. You know, like no everyone as for as much as we all know it, it's really hard to get over seeing how how just how bad a guy has looked in five games. Right, like you know Conforto. I'd have to look exactly at what he did the first two games. Is really that was it the third game in in Philly that he he. Um, Lean you know, went over five and left, I think, ten men on base, which is uh, what kind of started the, the idea that he's in a slump. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, it's like by Thursday, by the fourth game of the season, he's coming up in the the ninth inning there, and you're thinking, man, this is a really big spot for him just to you know redeem himself for one bad game essentially. And that's that's how quickly these things take hold uh, at this time of the season. Um, so. You know, I think he's just got to get back to making contact on fastballs in the strike zone. Uh, he's missed, he's swung and missed on 44% of them. He usually swings and misses at about 10% of fastballs in the strike mm-hmm. zone. Uh, so, I, you know, I think there's a long enough track record where you're not thinking that this is a new normal for him, that it's a, a five-game uh, aberration uh, and he'll get back to normal. Um but, you know, it, it's it's tough to sit through. It's tough to watch. Uh, it's tough to know, as Louis Rojas, like how much to react to uh, this small a sample and move a guy in the order the way he, he has planned to, at least, the last couple of days moving Conforto from third down to sixth. Yeah, I think an instructive thing to do if you're really worried about Conforto is to uh, leaf yourself through the, the baseball reference game log. And I haven't done this myself, but it's a it is always something, I don't know, that I think can be comforting when a guy has a slump is to go back and find other five-game samples in which Conforto has been this bad. And maybe the particulars might change a little bit. Maybe it's not quite this many strikeouts. Maybe there's a a few more walks. Maybe there's an extra extra base hit. But I guarantee you will be able to find five-game stretches where, where Conforto has been miserable. But if you look at the big picture... He has a, an 839 Major League OPS, 127 OPS plus after over 600 games in the Major Leagues. He is not this guy. Like, it, it is as simple as that. For all you want to make out of struggles and the clutch out of, you know, I, I don't know. It seems like Conforto, for being now the most recognizable position player, the longest tenured position player, is dealing with some of these classic issues that that guys face for being, you know, some one of the faces of the team that... Uh, David Wright got booed and Carlos Beltran got booed and Daryl Strawberry got booed. And, you know, it's just it's going to happen because people start hanging their expectations on you in that way. I always bring it back to Mighty Casey who in the in like the what I believe is like one of the greatest things ever written about baseball 
you know, Casey takes the blame for striking out at the at the end of of the Mudville Nines game uh, when we have been told that he is marooned in a lineup full of complete scrubs. And, and so like that is the nature of baseball is that it, it just sort of falls on your best players most of the time and, and you overlook the the poor performances of, of everyone around him. In this case, a little bit different with perform with Conforto because he is he is performing poorly. But uh, I I don't think you know I I don't think it would be the same if it was uh, the same amount of hype. Obviously, if it was you know Jonathan VR who kept coming up with in big spots and and failing at the at this after five games of the season because he's not a long tenured recognizable Met and Conforto is that guy that you've come to expect more out of. Yeah, I mean, you'd just be talking about the bad luck that it's always Jonathan VR in, the, in those spots. Right. Uh, you know, you, yeah, you look at the the offense as a whole. Let, let's just run down the batting averages at this time of season. And I, I did the the power rankings for the Athletic, uh, the National League power rankings mm-hmm. uh, on Monday, where I wrote the little blurbs on the teams. I did not rank the teams. Stop yelling at me in the comments. Um, but uh, you go through like what guys are hitting a week and a half into the season and it's exa- it's even more exaggerated with the Mets because they played so few games and there's so many guys hitting between like below 200 on every team uh, and for the Mets you've got uh, McNeil's at 077 Conforto's at 143 uh, James McCann and Francisco Lindor are at 176 Pete Alonso's 211 uh, VR is 214 Pillar is 143 like the only normal batting average here uh, is Dom Smith at 267 because Brandon Nimmo's hitting 412. Like Dom Smith at 267 is the only thing that, that seems like it might stay around there for more than three more days. And he's four for 15. It's right. It's like, it's just none none of these guys. It's the small sample size thing, right? I mean, we can we can turn it inside out for as long as we want, and and it looks bad. It looks bad when Conforto is is smacking himself in the chest after striking out with with the runner on base and in a big spot with. Uh, chance to get Degrom ahead or 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 at least tie that game, but uh, it's it's five games. It's only it's only that's it. Like that's that's all you can really say. Yeah, you know they just they just need to play more. Just the four, they they will increase the the length of their season by forty percent on Tuesday, which is I think good for them. Well, what about the bullpen? Because that was also a little concerning. And I would say, like, I was a little surprised at how little patience... Eh, no, I wasn't surprised by this at all. I was disappointed by... Like, I while I understood Conforto got booed, like, pretty resoundingly, considering there were only... It was a capacity 8,000, I want to say, for Saturday's game. Conforto, like, eh, 7,500 of them were booing Conforto at, 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 at that point uh, after the strikeout. Uh, it felt like a really quick trigger with the boos on on Edwin Diaz, who got hit around a little bit, um, and obviously had a had a real rough season the last time there were there were fans in the in the seats. But it's it's to ignore the really nice season he had last year, and worse yet, to ignore what I felt was uh, a truly inspiring uh, intro. When he came out with that with that Timmy trumpet tune that we have we have discussed earlier on this podcast, which he has credited for his 2020 turnaround, because it is truly dramatic. And as a horn player myself, uh, I would say uh, it is it is motivational, and it reminds you that there is there is space out there for for brass instruments playing triumphant parts like that. Yeah, the best part of the Mets season is that Edwin Diaz has pitched in both home games, so we've gotten to hear that twice. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, it's I think it, it's really interesting that like the 2020 season just didn't really happen for a lot right. of people. Uh, and Diaz in particular, it's easy to overlook how good he was because a like no one talks about how good a closer is on a team that finishes tied for last. Uh, right. And because he still happened to ble- he still blew a couple of big saves. Uh, people remember more like the second game of the season when he gave up the home run uh, to Marcelo Zuna. Uh, in Atlanta and the game against the Yankees Aaron Hicks hit that the home run with both both with two outs in the ninth inning I believe um, to, to tie that game and they lost in extras uh, so you know those are the things you remember you don't remember the the other innings he pitched where he was very good and, and the 40% of opposing hitters that he struck out so they're just you know there was not going to be a long leash on Edwin Diaz regardless of how good he had been last year uh, if he struggled uh, in any way at the start of this season. Uh, and he, you know, he was good on, on Thursday in the home opener uh, when they were losing. Uh, and then on, on Saturday, uh, nothing like super concerning. He wasn't like walking everyone uh, right. or giving up, uh, you know, hanging sliders and, and giving up bombs to left field or something like that. Like he was through, through much of 2019. So, you know, he gave up a, a couple hits in a row. You're, you're not used to teams being able to string hits together against a, a pitcher who strikes out that many guys uh, at a rate basis. But uh, it's not something, again, it's, it's one outing and I'm not like, I don't think they should remove him from the closer role. I'm not uh, saying prayers every night for Seth Lugo's return, uh, you know, to, to speed up the recovery process. Uh, I, I think like, I think Edwin Diaz will be okay. I think the bullpen probably has bigger issues than him going forward. Well, on that topic, uh, we have a question from a, a reader, Richard, who wants to know, he emailed us at ask he emailed me at asktedberg at gmail.com which you can do as well if you have a question for this podcast richard wants to know he said i was thinking about the future of the mets bullpen and how joey lucchese plays into this what do you think is the likelihood and the mets openness to using lucchese as a long-term multi-inning bullpen option in winning situations after the return of carrasco and Syndergaard? he goes into talking about how the mets have so many limited bullpen options which i i don't need to rehash for for listeners here he says there are a lot of question marks. He, he admits that, you know, Syndergaard and Carrasco coming back and, and being effective is not is not a certainty, uh, nor is, is Lugo. But he sort of suggests he calls it a piggyback scenario uh, where you can you can count on Lucchese for for multi innings. Uh, and if he if he if he continues being effective uh, in a in a bullpen role or proves he can be effective in a bullpen role. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think it makes some sense conceptually. Like he, he looked good in his two innings uh, on when last Wednesday against Philadelphia. Uh, he did get the benefit of, of a little wider strike zone, I think, at that point in the game, which helped. Um, but you know, like the he's got a funky delivery. The stuff is different. No one else throws uh, a a curve quite the way that Joey Lucchese does. Uh, and you know, historically, uh, I think we talked about this in spring training, like he's not a guy who goes through a lineup several times effectively. Like he gets hit harder, uh, by that third time through the order, which makes you think that he's, you know, the Mets are going to use him as kind of a five and dive starter, uh, behind an opener, uh, or, uh, you know, that maybe his long-term future would be as a bullpen guy. Uh, I think, you know, when, Carrasco, Carrasco, it sounds like it will get back before Syndergaard. It sounds like it'll get back before Lugo also, because oh. uh, he's up to uh, throwing uh, around four innings down in in, Saint, in Port St. Lucie, and will be at the. That's a good. I soon. did not know. I did not know that. Thank you. 
Yeah, so Rojas talked about that Monday. That that's a really nice development. He's even he's fielding. He's even hitting uh, down down there. So he's getting ready. Uh, it sounds like the hamstring is, has responded well. So I think you know it's it's not like we'll see Carlos Carrasco next week, uh, but it sounds like he should be back toward the earlier part of May uh, for the Mets, uh, which would you know Lucchese. I think at that point you're not putting him into the late game part of your relief, but it wouldn't surprise me if he becomes. Uh, you know, he takes over the, that spot that Robert Gazelman currently occupies as your long man. Uh, it's not a spot they've used yet. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, Lucchese, if he pitches well in that spot for a bit, uh, certainly can pitch himself into bigger spots. Like we've seen other uh, other great long men in Mets history. Pat Mahomes in 1999, the My preeminent favorite. example of a guy who started as a long man and then was getting huge outs in the postseason. Uh, for the he Mets. was so, my desktop background that year. I remember, <laughs> like, I had just a photo of Pat Mahomes as my desktop background, and now he is more famous as the father of Patrick Mahomes, but who? not for me in 1999. <laughs> yeah, you know, the the late Corey Lytle, I think, also had a very nice stint as a Mets long man. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll we'll get to this in in a later episode this year. Long men of the New York Mets. Um, I like that idea. <laughs> So, you know, it's, uh, it's something I, like I can see Lucchese pitching himself into it. He had a nice spring training. He looked good in his first outing. I think we need to see him pitch more innings until I'm confident he could do something like that. Of like course. I'm very interested in, in what his first start or first bulk appearance for the Mets looks like. Uh, I think right now it's it's slated for Friday in Denver. Uh, everyone loves to make their first big appearance of the season with a new team uh, in Denver. Uh, but we'll see if it, if it comes to pass that way with the weather forecasts. Um, but I'm really excited to see how he looks and how that that his repertoire plays uh, over a consistent basis. Because this is a guy who who has done decently well in San Diego as a starter, and if if he's good as a starter. Uh, that's really helpful for you longer term, even if this year that that need might not be there once everyone's healthy. Right. And I would say, I think to Richard's question, the, the, like the, the tides of baseball just tend to work these things out. And so like, you could say like, it's very tempting to say like, well, when Carrasco and Syndergaard are back, but that implies that when Carrasco and Syndergaard are back, that, that DeGrom, Stroman, and Walker all remain healthy. And with starting pitching, with any pitching, it's just never a guarantee. So it's like, well, let them—I think it's a good idea. Like, I think everything you said, Lucchese's, uh, it his pitching does seem to lend itself to that role. And, and if he's a guy who can do it, we've saw him—you know, I would say even just a willingness to do it a couple of times implies he's not— because sometimes you hear about starters who have, you know, very long and, and vigorous warm-up routines, and so they, they are concerned about how it would translate to the bullpen. But if Lucchese's a guy who is open to it and and, uh, and can get himself ready in the middle of a game, then sure, like that would be a, a really good problem to have if he's pitching effectively as a starter and gets squeezed out of the rotation. That would be, things would be going really well for the Mets if and when that happens. Yeah, like he, he's got more intriguing stuff as a reliever i think than like david peterson does uh so you know if well if and we're i think talking with about peterson the... with peterson squeezed out you would you would rather have him especially once the minor league season starts up i think you'd rather have him getting regular starts and and honing his stuff than than uh maybe pitching irregularly out of the bullpen am i wrong no the, yeah that's exactly right like you want him uh, as your sixth starter, and and you know, with the number of double headers the Mets are, are building for themselves already this season, uh, y- you want to have that guy in the minors who you feel comfortable calling up and and handing the ball to uh, when you need it. 
Uh, so, so I think you're right. He fits that that slot better than than Lucchese probably, and Lucchese fits the the potential bullpen role better. Well, it is a sunny day in New York as we speak on Tuesday morning, and the Mets are slated for two games uh, today. And so I feel very confident. I don't want to jinx anything, but I feel very confident that they will have played. Uh, I don't want to say it. I'm going to jinx it. I'm going to jinx it. I hopefully. Don't do it. Hopefully the Mets will have played more games by the next time we speak later in the week. You know, you know, you don't mention time of game. Uh, you can tweet about all these things, Ted. You can mention them on broadcast, but you just don't say it aloud in a press box or to another reporter. This is just, it's its baseball <laughs> journalism 101. You don't talk about the weather. Uh, hey, we just... are cruising right along here, right, guys? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what was the, uh, the game they played? Uh against the Phillies. I think it was the the Tuesday game. Like the first 6 innings took the the 2 hours that you you kind of estimate a game will take and the last 3 innings took an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that's happen. you just just don't say that out loud. You can think it, but you don't say it uh, out loud. Well, yeah, I won't I I won't I will try not to jinx you. I but I may tweet it so you can follow <laughs> that along at, at OG @ogtedberg. You can get Tim's rebuttals at Tim Britton. And, of course, you can subscribe to The Metrospective on Spotify, on iTunes. You can hear it at The Athletic, uh, everywhere that podcasts are available. Please rate and review and subscribe. We do appreciate it. Tim, I look forward to potentially having more baseball to discuss and perhaps some regression to the mean to gloat about whenever we next speak. Yeah, unfortunately, that would mean that I don't get to talk as much about my third grade athletic exploits, but I suppose we'll take that. I want to hear more about that, though, so we will get back to that. That will be a very special episode sometime (laughs) in the middle of the summer. But until then, Tim, peace out. Adios. Adios.